welcome everyone to the Football Odyssey Podcast. This is Aaron Harris. Today's episode will be an interview with Arnie Chapman. Arnie is the founder and host of the Football History Dude, a podcast dedicated to teaching NFL fans about the rich history of the game we all know and love. In this episode, we discuss Arnie's passion for the Detroit Lions, his experience creating the podcast, some of his favorite memories from the show, and much more. If you enjoyed our conversation, then subscribe and share. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram. You can also reach out to me in the contact section of thefootballodyssey.com to let me know what you think. And, as always, thank you for listening. So you're based in Detroit, I believe? I'm not not quite there, but yes, in the Michigan area. So that's why you hear about the Lions all the time. (laughs) How would you describe Detroit for someone who hasn't been there? Because I've never been there, but it's always been a city that I don't think I've ever gotten a real accurate image of. Um, So Detroit, the city itself, is probably one of those things where if you're an outsider, as you're trying to drive through it, you're like, okay, I got to get past this as quick as possible. But then there's those little golden nuggets where you drive through right around the stadiums. Um, actually, I haven't been there since they built the new, the Little Caesar Stadium for the Red Wings and the Pistons. Mm-hmm. Only time I've been there was when it was for the, so there's Ford's Field, and which is the where the Lions play. Then there's Com- Comerica Park, which is where the Tigers play. They butt up against each other. And I think Little Caesar Stadium's right down that way too. I, I haven't even been into the city in a long time. So I would say that when you're driving down there, they have these like little things like Greek town, little touristy type areas and place where you feel comfortable. But the outsider driving in, you're, 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 I just got to get, I got to get through this city because I'm not sure what's going to happen here to me. Right. Now, what about its place as a, um, like a football town in that surrounding area? Because normally when I think of Northern football, you think of Ohio and Pennsylvania where, you know, once Friday night hits, you have high school football and then it's just football nonstop until Sunday night football ends. Is that the kind of same atmosphere you find in Detroit in the surrounding area in Michigan? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty common here. I mean, there's some other sports as well, but so I, I grew up in a small little town and that's football was the main sport. And then, like you said, from Saturdays, there's the Michigan, Michigan State. They have other schools as well, but those are the two big. Um, you're either blue or you're green. You, you Normally, you pick a side then when they have their games. And I'm not sure where you're from, but it's the same kind of concept. You, the two rivals, and that's the biggest game of the year. It doesn't matter if you go 0-9 or whatever it is. If you beat the uh, your rival, you have a successful victory. And then, of course, Sundays you come with the Lions. And the, the town, for not having any success the detroit lions fans are some very passionate uh fan base uh the whole they drink the blue kool-aid every year and definitely very passionate about their team whether it's ups or downs and unfortunately it's been almost all downs since i've been around you know yeah i grew up in a, a small town in central florida and i live in atlanta now so whenever i was growing up high school football was it was definitely big. It was a big deal, especially where I went to school, but the Gators were always the number one team that everybody would root for. And you would have people that would either go for the Florida Gators or go for uh, the Florida state Seminoles. Uh, But I was always more into NFL. So I never really got into the whole college atmosphere, but that was definitely kind of once Friday night hit. And then it was kind of more Saturday night after the game was over, people kind of chilled out. But yeah, I think definitely in the South, you'll find it's a varying degrees as well. Yeah, I mean that's so I'm I'm like you. I'm more of an NFL follower. Um 
oftentimes like I don't even know what the college records are of Michigan or state or if they're even playing now. I didn't realize that it took them so long to get the season yeah. started even. So it's just to me it's all NFL as far as football goes. And so what is it about the program the the pro game for you that is more interesting than college? Um, I don't know if it's necessarily more interesting by any means, but I'll give you two words and the name is Barry Sanders. I uh, grew up in 85. I was born in 85. So when I grew up as a young boy watching the team, literally Barry Sanders was there from the get go as far as what I can remember. So it was unlike, I guess, Michael Jordan for the, the Bulls, even though the Lions didn't win any championship. It was like that same kind of thing. You were just entranced with this individual and what they could do on the field. And it just encompassed everything that I was as far as a Lions fan. And then the whole travesty heartbreak of when he left, it was almost like the soul ripping out because you just didn't know anything before then. I didn't experience the Billy Sims or, of course, the 60s and 70s or anything before that. It was Barry Sanders and my my family, too. Same thing, Detroit Lions fans. And don't really follow a whole lot of college as far as the, you know, the media family goes. And did you take to football early on in the beginning, like from your family, or was it something you kind of took to organically? Uh, it was it was kind of I was already there because my family was a big Detroit Lions fan. I, I, we talk about this on the show all the time, but my grandpa, we joke around. But in you know, every May or June summer, you know, it, what nothing going on in the world of football. But you, you talk to him, you talk, you say, hey, hey, Grandpa, how's it going? And it's always, hey, you ready for some football? And then you hang up and it's go Detroit Lions and things like that. So it's it was there from the jump. But. Growing up again, I mean, I don't know. I can't really compare it to any player that's in the league for me now. Maybe maybe Brady, if you're a Patriots fan, if, you know, the, the kids that got to grow up with him already there and winning the championships. Mm-hmm. But it's just, there's nobody, there, there is no Barry. There never was and there never will be as far as I'm concerned, even if that's a biased statement, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, no, it's someone that you grow up with and you kind of, that captures your childhood in a way. I think it's a lot of how people look at music, you know, it's the music you listen to when you're a kid and when you're in your you know, teens to twenties that you really hold on to. And I think it's definitely the same way for athletes. I mean, for me as a Steelers fan, I always kind of look at the, you know, mid to late two thousands team with, you know, Troy Polamalu, Brett Kiesel, you know, those are guys that I always kind of think back as some of my favorite players growing up. And, you know, you always try to find another one of those as an adult, but it never really kind of fills that void in a way. That's challenging, too, because nowadays, so when we were growing up, there wasn't the boom of fantasy football. Now mm-hmm. we have less loyalties, I think, to to teams. And it's more of, especially if you're not in a, if you're in a redraft league, it's whatever players on your team that, that year. And then once you trade them away, it's okay, now I'm a big fan of this guy. So it's, it's kind of, I think there's different type of loyalties now than they would have even been just 10 years ago, we'll call it. Yeah. Yeah. I think the players definitely have more fans than teams have fans. Yep. So, now, what were some uh, like early memories you had with your grandfather watching games? Uh, I'd say so. My, we watched it with my grandfather, but it was more because he's a little bit further away. It'd be, I just remember one time with my dad. We'll, we'll talk about that with trying to get the so we used to get the station out of Cadillac, mm-hmm. which is, is further north. This will be a secondary station. Um, did you ever have blackout games in in your uh, yeah. neck of the woods? Yeah. So, yeah, in your local area, they would black out the games if you didn't sell. Whatever the percentage was, I, I don't know what the, the limit was. So we'd get blacked out from our area. We were at the very 
we're at the border almost of where the blackout game would be. And then we could get the game still from Cadillac, which is some odd hundred or so miles away. We, I just remember my dad going up to the top. It was icy, snowy, this really tall antenna and just trying to hold it in the right position, yelling down to the, the sister or the brother, Hey, you know, bringing it over to me, checking the TV out. Is it at a good position yet? And then just that kind of thing. And the other things that people will go through to watch their team and just, I was Barry Sanders as a kid growing up, right? Everybody was in our neck of the woods. I was going to be Barry Sanders when I was in the NFL until I realized I, you know, I wasn't, they would tie me with a, an, uh, what is that thing called? A sundial for, for my 40 time versus a regular time. And they'd always say Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday for when I was running through my coach had always harassed me that I wasn't going to be a running back. And I got put on the offensive line and I was a linebacker from there. So that's kind of how that went. Yeah, it's a crushing reality, right? <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I mean, like I said, you, you think you're going to be Barry Sanders, you think you're going to be a running back, and then uh, the coach says, hey, hey, son, uh, you're not going to be a, a running back. I mean, you could be a running back if you want, but you'll never get in the game. So then, you know, I was a linebacker from there. Well, hey, you know, I mean, the offensive line made Barry look good because they didn't block, and so they made him uh, have to do it all himself. I'm I'm glad that you you because at first the way you you almost said they made Barry look good and then I was about to have a fist of cuffs with you because <laughs> that's the argument here in Detroit with uh, Dallas Cowboys uh, Emmett Smith over there and I love Emmett because he's just I didn't like him until recently when I listened to him and how passionate he was for his teammates but mm-hmm. it was always the argument hey if Barry had that line he would have been a two thousand yard rusher every year and like you said they made him look good by not being that good <laughs> right so barry was your favorite growing up who was your like second favorite or runner-up so as we transitioned a little bit later into my years um so the 1995 season was the year that the lions had the number one the offense was the best in the league you know the, all the rankings that was when they had scott mitchell came in from the dolphins and all this kind of thing and we had a trio so we had there's the Barry Sanders, of course, but Herman Moore as a receiver, he would have been kind of comparable to what our Calvin Johnson was, but of course not. I mean, Calvin Johnson was still ahead and above shoulders, but he was that perennial pro bowler. I think he may have been the first hundred catch. I'm not hundred percent sure what it was, but he had the record, I think at one point for most catches in a, in a season, it might've been that 95. So just a really, really cool guy. And then later on in life, couple years later so the lions would come to our hometown for training camp or close enough to it and we would go there and we would be able to yeah afterwards you know get the autographs and things and herman moore even though he still had what you could call that star power but he wasn't a receiver who was a prima donna type of receiver he Mm -hmm. i just i have a photo where we would stay he, he stayed until dark after the game was after the practice was over and i got a photo of us with him take you know still sitting there autographs for fans and just it was cool to think of a guy that had all that star power yet he was sitting there for all the fans and he would stick over so that kind of stuck in our in our hearts as a a player that we were gonna just follow and love for for the rest of our lives yeah that's always if you ever have the opportunity to meet a player that's always kind of your biggest fantasy that he's going to be very humble and that he's going to be very welcoming be there for the fans and obviously it doesn't always turn out that way, but I think it's, you know, an experience like that will definitely make you grow attached to a team because of that reason. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, there's all of us can remember those little moments where as 
the player, of course, that's just one in a bucket of a million others. But for us, we able to like, I got Barry Sanders autograph twice at that training camp in the same day, which seemed impossible. And it's like flip a coin and a million shot, but I'll never forget both, both of those instances. And I was, I don't know, maybe 10, 12. I'm not sure how old I would have been at that time. Uh, is there a season or a couple seasons that stand out to you? Cause I know, as you mentioned, being a Lions fan could be hard, but is there a couple of seasons that you remember with uh, fondness, if you will? Oh, sure. So 1997 um, is the year as it's a Lions fan moment, but because Barry Sanders was the moment, that's when he broke the 2000 yard barrier. Uh, it's just pretty cool because the first two games of the year, he had a total of 53 yards. And then he ended with like 2053, I think is what it was. So he had 2000 yards in 14 games. So in that 14 game span, it was just breaking off a hundred game after a hundred game after a hundred game and then getting to that final and for some reason, I can't remember. I want to say it was the Jets, that final one, and he only needed maybe three, four yards. He rips off a 17-yarder, so it's like you know you got it in the bag. And just as a fan, you're just of a person that, I don't know, you idolized, I guess would be the right word. Just it was so cool to see that happen for someone like him. Then, of course, unfortunately, he leaves after a couple of years after there, retires and doesn't break the record. But we all know he would in our hearts and and that would probably be the the most, I don't want to say impactful, meaningful, just the, the season I remember the most would have been that 97 season, as most fans of Detroit would say, probably. Now, what about some of the uh, the playoff years that you've experienced? Uh, personally, I haven't been able to experience a victory. Uh, I mean, I did back in, I think it was 91 when they beat down the Cowboys, but I was... I was too young to really remember that. And then they went on. I think it was the Redskins maybe after that and lost in the NFC. And so so more recently, I mean, we had, what was it, the Seahawks, I think. The Cowboys game, that one was tough because everybody looked to the one call that that he that he made. But uh, I, it, we lost the game ourselves. I mean, it should never come down to one call as far as I'm concerned. We should have already been up if we wanted to win that game. Yeah, I mean, I have a, a roommate in Atlanta who – is from Dallas originally, so he's a diehard Cowboys fan. And, you know, he always looks back to the Packers game with the uh, Dez caught it. Oh, yep. yep. Yeah, Everybody tough. has their the one catches or the one play that they think that went the wrong way. And it's like, yeah, but how many snaps are there in a game and how many moments did you have to make up for that or get ahead of it? Because generally speaking, there's bad calls or good calls, whatever you want to call it, on like every game. Yeah, well, that's especially true when we were talking a few years ago about the uh, Saints-Rams championship game. You know, everybody looks at the missed pass interference call, but, you know, there was still more football to be played afterwards. Yeah, and there was so much more for that, too. It's like if you were up by, say, two scores or if you controlled everything else before that play, then that one play should not define it. It sucks, though, because of that one had a lot of camera angles where it was challenging. Yeah. Um, I had – who was the – footballzebras.com i had him on ben ostro mm-hmm. and they went through that play as a field or the back judge i guess it would have been and who was responsible ultimately for that call and he said it was if you if you ever been in a game like the, the speed of which you have to have your eyes on where that quarterback is and then flip it down this the sideline to where that was it's a it's a challenging play so it's not like it was super obvious on the field after the fact maybe but not when you're the one responsible for checking that out yeah, it's definitely easier when you're on your couch watching it on TV from every single angle. 
So your podcast, The Football History Dude, first off, where did you come up with the name? <laughs> uh, well, I was going to start a podcast called The Fantasy Football Dude, but uh, there's about a million of them out there, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. So dude's just a... I guess I use that word quite often. And that come, we always joke that my grandpa invented the word dude because he always called people dude since the, the earliest age. Uh, I mean, the dude ranch, I guess it's, it comes from a long time before that. Uh, yeah, that's just kind of fell into me because the the show was going to be about fantasy football. I started as sort of research and how am I going to do this? Just like you said yourself, you know, how do I get into this medium? And ah, that, it just was too too saturated for me for fantasy football because Everyone talks about it, and I, I enjoy football history. Really, is more I enjoyed history. It wasn't necessarily learned. I didn't know much about the history of the game. Um, so Dan Carlin has a podcast called Hardcore History. I'm not sure if you've heard of that or not. Yeah. Very good, right? I mean, that's something yeah. you, you talked about earlier, about a four- or five-hour episode. Like, this guy, that's what he makes his living on. And just so detailed, so much research goes into it. He pours over books, and he has an episode once every other like two times a year, basically. And I just, I just enjoyed the storytelling style that he had and the way that he was able to just relive the moments. And I enjoyed football. I was listening to one of his episodes, which had come out like that previous December or something along those lines. And it just kind of dawned on me. I, I wonder if there's a room for football history out there that I can learn along the way. And that's kind of how that all came to be. It's interesting how this was also a little bit of a learning project for you as well. Because I think a lot of people, when they have a podcast, they usually do it as a way to kind of broadcast what they know already. Whereas you kind of took a different angle at it where you said, I'm going to start a podcast and kind of learn as I go as well. Yeah, it's been very cool to every week. Well, now I'm I'm all on interviews. It's different than it was at the beginning. For the first almost year, it was all solo episodes and each week getting to research, just like how you said, how you do, you research your content and then you're able to lo- the long form. It's, there's so many times where I go, ha, ah, that's so cool. Oh man, I didn't know that. And it's just, just neat to be able to relive something that happened a hundred or more years ago that I never would have previously known. Yeah, absolutely. And so you mentioned Dan Carlin and I love the episode you did with him. I thought that was an interesting uh, addition to the podcast. Um was he, you mentioned how you were influenced by him. Was there any other influence you had when you were kind of making the format for the podcast? Uh, the format itself, I I would say just from listening to random podcast, I wouldn't say that there's a direct podcast out there other than Dan's as far as a format. I listened to, so there's something called School of Podcasting by Dave Jackson. I learned a lot from him just through because that's what it's about. It's about teaching podcasters. Um, I thought back to different kind of, I guess more more of like what you would watch on a on a TV, maybe ESPN Classic or how they have the Thirty for Thirty, similar to that, where they would try to try to kind of give you the backstory, then travel it along, and then like the aha moment. There was always now, Dan. I don't, you know, I didn't even ask him about this. Thing. I wish I would have, but when you hear his episodes, he always sounds like there's. Poof, like it's almost like someone dropping a mic and I don't know if that's really what he's doing or for something else, but it, that's why I was, I always called it drop the mic moments where it was like hit somebody with something they never saw coming out of the side of the left field. And I guess maybe through that Paul Harvey, there you go. Let's use that guy as a, the, the rest of the story guy. I used to listen yeah. to those on the way back and forth to school all the time. Well, here's the rest of the story. So I guess maybe that was an influence and I didn't even realize it. Yeah. Something subconscious. Yeah. 
So why did you choose to tell these stories as a podcast as opposed to doing uh, YouTube videos or even doing a blog? What was it about this medium that felt like you could actually do something with it? I believe it's more accessible. Um, mm -hmm. the, the, the barrier to entry is very low when you get over the fact that you're not when you get past, oh man, I don't know about the technology because it does seem daunting and it seems like it's very hard when you first start because you're like, what's an RSS feed? What is this? And what, how do I get the mic to work? How do I edit and all those things? And just, I think because I listen to so many starting way back with, uh, so there's a podcast, Smart Passive Income, and just had listened to that since I think 2014 maybe. But the first one, uh, what was this? Matthew Berry, the fantasy football focus. Mm -hmm. I started listening to him, geez, way, way long time ago. So I've always been intrigued by the medium where you can drive and listen. You can cut the lawn and listen. You can do whatever it is that you do while you're listening to this medium versus having to watch something. Or, you know, I enjoy reading, of course, but now that's all you're doing. You're not doing anything else. What about uh, sports radio? Was that something big for you growing up? You know what? Didn't really listen to a whole lot of sports radio. Um, really more would have been maybe the post games or the, the pre games, supposedly, I guess, but really it was just more watching, watching the games. I mean, I'd hear it here and there, but it was, it was more music as far as like the radio goes for me. Gotcha. Okay. And when you started the podcast, did you have an audience in mind that you were trying to tap into like meaning were you trying to appeal to people who already knew about football history or were you trying to find people who were looking to learn more about football history so i kind of had two avatars the the first avatar would be the the person in their i will we'll call them the the uh seasoned veteran person who knows a little bit about it and they relive maybe some of their glory years by listening to some of the games or the stories that they had heard before. Then also with that, be able to integrate some of these 1920s stories and 30s stories that they had never heard before. So I'd like to enhance their knowledge. But then there's also, when I talk, I kind of talk more to someone like me who's interested in just learning about how the game came to be and how everything worked and how the game evolved into now America's favorite sport where before it was an afterthought. Like you're going to, you're coming out of college and you're going to go play in the NFL. Like what is wrong with you? How come you're not doing X, Y, and Z where now it's the opposite. So I think that's the two people that when I'm talking to somebody and I think, but more so it's talking to the, the guest and asking them to respond to someone like me. That's just an inquisitive mind who has a general feel for sports and loves football, mostly NFL for my football podcast and how do they learn about something that happened a long time ago? Yeah, and that's interesting that you bring up about um, people wanting to play professional football after college, how it was looked down upon so heavily. And it's just another example of how far times have come in a certain regard. Yeah, I mean, the advent of TV probably was one of the biggest thing that flipped it because yeah. now people could see it versus... You just it wasn't accessible as much. I mean, the radio, of course, but still baseball. That was by far and away. And now you watch a game, and I'm not trying to downplay baseball whatsoever, but if you get a chance to watch just the action on the field for baseball versus the action on the field for football, even though there's only so many minutes of actual gameplay, to me it doesn't match up. And I think that's one thing that helped people become so in love with that sport. 
Well, I think even Dan Carlin, when he was talking to you, actually made that point, saying that baseball is still a 19th century game. Yeah, yeah, I believe he did. And and again, it's not that it's not a, I mean, it's a it's a challenging game by no means, and it's still enjoyable. But it's one of those things where it's like you hit the ball and it's it's done. And then now the next play, it's almost like each play, even though it kind of does its succession. Going back to what Dan talked about, he brought up how a drive in a football field is almost like a play or a story that you're building up. And then the climax of course is either the, the turnover of downs or the interception or it's the touchdown, but all these little intricate plays are building up to that final story. And, and then you're going to get the answer versus baseball. Again, all of them do don't get me wrong, but each pitch or each at bat does not necessarily have direct correlation to the previous or former at bat. I mean, it does, but not the same as football. Yeah. I had a friend of mine that I interviewed on the podcast and he was my first interview and he played college football up North and he described it where he says, you know, when you're watching a game, there's 11 different games going on in a football game. Right. Right. And and it's great to really think about because everybody always talks about that game within the game and you never really think about how much it's going to impact the overall play, but when you're breaking down film, because there's a few guys I follow on YouTube that do a great job of breaking down film and, you know, even from individual players all the way up to a team's whole strategy, but it's definitely something that you could just get lost in. If you just want to take one game from this weekend and just kind of break down all that's happening on the field at once. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, like you said, it's 11 games within games. And if those 11 games within games do not work synergistically with each other then there's going to be a loss whereas that's not necessarily the case in all sports and how did the podcast kind of take on a life of its own and by that i mean is the product that you have now kind of matches what you had in your head going into it i know you mentioned that you wanted to do fantasy football and then you kind of changed the direction of it but as far as the show is going to use the kind of line up with the roadmap i guess you saw in your own head for it uh a little bit yes a little bit no like i said i started off with just solo episodes where it was more narrative dan carlin style and then um so one of the first guests on the show was upton bell he's a former mr everything i mean in the the league his dad was the commissioner burt bell and he reached out to me i want to say it was march or april of 2019 and said, hey, you did an episode on my father. I think you should uh, bring me on your show. I got a book. I can tell you all these cool stories. And I'm like, first of all, I'm like, what is an Upton Bell? I don't even know what this means. And so I did a little bit of research. I'm like, wow, if this is if this is Upton Bell, this is that guy. I should probably contemplate starting to do interviews. So I talked to him. I can still remember where I was sitting in the, in the car in the parking lot of a subway. Well, actually, it was the hotel next to the subway when I was talking to him, cause I, I couldn't hear him that well. I had to take him off Bluetooth. Well, he couldn't hear me probably. We'll, we'll, we'll beg to differ there. And I just at that moment, I was like, man, I can't believe somebody's really reaching out to me. And I'm thinking this little rinky dink podcast, and he wants to come on the show to share this story that ultimately, as you listen to the episode, you're like, that dude lived a life and he's continuing to live a life of intrigue of what just being involved with so much. And that kind of put me in a different direction. I'm like, Hmm, because I had that imposter, you know, I had that imposter syndrome like everybody does. I, you know, I'm who am I to interview this guy? Who am I to have an interview podcast and all these kinds of things? And then I had that nervous as all get out, right? You have <laughs> you write down all these questions, and then there was even a point in the 
the podcast where he's like, you know, I want to save some stuff for the book because he, we were trying to promote his book as well. So then it, that helped me learn through I go. Uh, now it's less of I have an interview and it's, oh, yeah, that's right. I got an interview versus it's like, oh, my goodness, I have an interview with somebody. I got to, you know, I'm nervous and stuff. So now it's to that point where that message is trying to and let them as an expert share whatever they've been through or whatever they've researched or whatever it is that they can provide to the listeners of the show that I wouldn't even begin to dream of. I mean, these authors, for instance, I'm not sure if you've listened to any of the authors, but they, they spent years, years writing a book about a particular topic, a particular team, whatever it is. And there's no way that I could spend that much time for each episode, but if I can bring them on the show and they have all this wealth of knowledge and these gridiron knowledge nuggets that they plucked out of the soil let's just use that. Let's just have them share it. So that's kind of the transition that, that now, now that's all I ever have is interviews. I mean, I have a solo show here and there, I suppose, but it's transformed in a way that I'd never really anticipated at first. And do you find it more challenging to prepare for interviews or for solo episodes? That's one of those, uh, I could answer in both ways. Mm -hmm. Um, at first it was probably more challenging for interviews because a solo show, it was, you just look at all these different articles out there. You try to make that. That was the biggest thing for solo shows was getting, making sure the information was accurate. And cause you don't want to tell something on your show that is inaccurate. That's going to lead people down the wrong path. So that was probably the biggest challenge at that time. And then crafting the story, like I said, with the whole Dan Carlin at the beginning, it was too much of the comparing myself to the master storyteller that is Dan Carlin, where, which right. it's like, that's not fair. So that was that challenge. And then coming into the interviews, it was, I I never really did that before. So I can do all this research, all this research. And then I have had almost like a script of how I want this to go. This is that more at the beginning. And then when things would go off in a different direction, I wasn't prepared to have that give and take that give and back. Like you're doing a really good job right now. I think of just whatever it is. And you might have something in your mind that is let's go this path in this kind of direction. But when I bring something up, you're able to switch back and you're able to transition into another one. I had a challenge at more at the beginning, even than I do now of how do I put, put this, let them share their story. Yeah. And I think that imposter syndrome that you touched on, it kind of definitely goes more with doing solo episodes because I feel like anytime you're doing an audio essay or just whatever you want to call it, that you almost feel that you're proclaiming yourself as an expert on that topic in a way, you know, like you're telling people information about a certain subject. Whereas I think whenever you have an interview, you're kind of filling in the blanks to your own questions. So I think in a certain way, you kind of feel a little more relief having someone on to kind of give you the information and to be able to kind of go deeper into the questions based off the book or a movie or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, I could see that too. Cause that you, you almost explained what a lot of people go through and I've gone through that as my, myself. I mean, just let me ask this question. So you say you listen to the show, like what part about it intrigues you or um, makes you click that button to the next one? Well, I started listening to you while you were doing interviews, I've gone back and listened to your older episodes about like when you were doing the hall of fame episodes and whenever you were doing the one about, um, or about the older teams, uh, the NFL in the 1920s, that kind of, 
I prefer your interviews because number one, I like how we might talked about earlier, how you incorporate like history. Like you start with like this little kind of like tidbit about history and then you tie it in. Uh, like when you had Shane Richmond on last week, you talked about, um, you know, the history of London and kind of ties it into him because, you know, he's a football fan in London. So I, I like how you add kind of something that goes a little bit beyond football, but can still kind of relate it, you know, because I think if you were just going to sit there and just talk about football as if you were, you know, a fantasy sports show, or if you were doing, you know, current events or news, like you said, you know, you could find that anywhere. You want to find something that gives you a little more variety, I guess you could say. And so that part I really like. And then also too, it's, you know, it's about the guests that you are able to get. So like whenever I saw that you had Dan Carlin on, that's another kind of example of like kind of going outside the boundaries and being able to kind of do a unique spin, if that makes sense. Yeah, no. And that was one of those episodes too, where I, of course I was a little hesitant, but it was my hundredth episode and he was my hero. He was my podcast hero. So I brought him on when I found out he actually was a football fan and I couldn't, I could not have been more pleased with how that conversation went with him because he was not a football fan. He was a football enthusiast and a knowledge guru that I never had previously thought. And it was just cool how that shifted and how that conversation went totally different than I thought it would. Yeah. Well, and also too, I mean, having Upton Bell, that's also a huge thing because I read his book too. And that's a guy who just has story after story after story. You know, he's someone where I think if you sat down in a coffee shop and just talked with him, he would just go on for hours and hours about his experience within the with his life within the game. I mean, you know, NFL Network has a documentary series of football life. I mean, this guy has pretty much the ultimate football life, you know? <laughs> yeah. And last year or so, that's I did that very thing with him. And of course, yes, he has stories upon stories upon stories. That's for sure. And now I've also noticed too that you actually split your episodes up into part one, part two, and sometimes a part three. Um, is there a reason? Um, at the beginning, just totally peel back the curtain. It was because of I was concerned about not having enough content scheduled out. Mm-hmm. You'll notice now I don't do that. It took me longer. I was um, so the Upton Bell is a prime example. It was long. Well, it was longer too. I typically keep them in an hour max. So his was, geez, man, I talked to that guy. Like, I didn't know if he had a Red Bull or what was the deal, but he just he just wasn't tired. We started super late at night and staying near midnight, I think, by the time we ended. And so that was more of a the length thing, but also it was sometimes they come into, because like you said, it's kind of challenging sometimes to keep up with a production schedule. So sometimes I would have two-parters when they're a little long, lengthier so I could give myself that cushion. Yeah, I hear you. And so we, we talked about two of your guests that, have been big milestones for you. Who were some other guests that you kind of felt that after doing those interviews that you felt that you had kind of found a groove or yourself? Um, I actually, so some of the partners on the network, Joe Ziemba is one of them. When football was football podcast, uh, he had, he had a book by the same thing. And that would have been, I think late 2019 is when we had him on the show. And, just for some reason, it seemed like it clicked more where I felt more comfortable talking to him and asking him questions and listening versus writing down things ahead of time of exactly what I was going to ask him. And from there, it kind of started to click to the point where, wait, wait a second, I'm having conversations with these incredible individuals as opposed to just trying to drill them with questions. And from there, it just kind of got smoother and the transition was easier some of them are difficult um 
of course, because, you know, they're either they've already done this same story a million times or whatever it is, or they, the audio is a challenge. And uh, Jim McMahon was one of them, you know, he mm-hmm. uh, from 85 Bears. He's actually a very cool dude. And it seemed like he was a cool dude when I was talking to him. But sometimes when I was asking him questions, it was hard to tell. Was he did he care? Because <laughs> like his facial expression sometimes, but I think it was, he was outside. And then as you, if you know more about him, he does have like the migraines and things like that. And I just realized, okay, stop worrying about how he's thinking about these questions you're asking this. I remember in the middle of the episode, it was, I just said, okay, if he really didn't want to do this, he would have never accepted it because he didn't have to accept it. So then he just kept asking the questions as is. And then a couple of them ended up getting like, it's kind of like he, I don't know, we got into a better rhythm. Let's just put it that way. And then by the end, I got him to say, go Lions for me. So that was a victory. Well, and I think too, I mean, when you're doing a podcast, obviously, you know, when, when you meet someone for the first time, you kind of want to establish a little bit of a connection. And then I think as you go along, it just rolls with it a little more. I mean, you've interviewed a few athletes at this point. Do you find that interviewing authors are more suitable for interviews as opposed to athletes? Um, that's a, that's another one of those tricky questions because often authors have already, they have this, the story in their mind of telling specific pieces, but I mean, athletes do too, because, but they've, they've told it a million other times, depending on which athlete you're talking to. Um, the Bill Curry one that just released was a, when, when was today, Friday, a couple of days ago. And even though those stories are like um, incredible, they're amazing, right? But he's had those same talks already a million times over. He's a he's a leader and a speaker. So it's like you kind of knew what was coming. So in a way, it's easier. But in a way, it's more challenging because you don't want to just like you want to have in, in the I want to have a conversation. I don't want to just have somebody tell me the same speeches. And he was not like that. I'm not trying to say it's just an example. Mm-hmm. So authors, a lot of them that I've interviewed haven't had as much experience with speaking where athletes are kind of trained from the beginning of like by their media coaches like you do this you say this you don't say that and the ones that are have been out of the game for a while they're a little bit more freely to speak and authors it's that's just their book that's their passion that's something that's the only thing that they worked on for some odd years so it's a little bit of a different kind of connection there i think well and i think that's what podcasting really offers that sort of the legacy mediums don't because I mean, I think one of the most frustrating careers I could think of is having to be a sideline reporter or having to be a beat writer because, when, especially in the sport of football, you know, when you when you talk to someone on the sideline saying, you know, what do you want to do going into this game? Oh, you know, we want to play physical. We want to play smart. Like, of course, that's what everybody wants to do. You know, you want to hear particulars like, oh, hey, you know, we want to play this coverage where they get in this look, but, you know, you're not going to divulge that because you don't want to give your game plan away. So it's a little harder, I think, to kind of get those in-depth answers. And I think, especially as players too, you know, most of their interviews are going on radio shows throughout the week, or maybe, you know, after they retired, they have some hits they do too. And, but still, you're still only getting probably about 10 or 20 minutes worth of it. You know, if you can go on a serious XM show and probably get a couple hour interview, you know, doing some stuff like that. But I definitely think this medium is kind of a perfect way to kind of go go deeper beyond the player on the field and kind of see their background within football and more in-depth experiences that, you know, you may not be able to hear otherwise. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's something that now granted I haven't really brought any current players on. So it, it, like I haven't had that experience, but this is a different medium to be able to really, I mean, you're, you're in, I'm in, 
your listeners' earbuds right now versus an, a radio or a TV that's for everything. And it's for everybody. It's let's cast a wide net. This is that person that just right now you, I'm talking to you, Adam, or I'm talking to you, Jerry, you you chose to listen to this podcast right now. You chose to push that button on this episode. It wasn't a radio force feeding you exactly what you're going to listen to and then go into a commercial. It's you elected or this listener elected to listen to exactly this right now. And that's the cute that that's the cool thing about this medium versus the other audio mediums that are out there. And when you select uh, guests to come on your show, do you have a certain strategy that you go by with getting guests on in terms of your selection? Like, do you say, you know what, I've read a little bit about this era of football, so I want to try to get someone who knows a little bit about, you know, 70s football, or, you know, I've read about this player, let me try to get this author on. Is there some sort of, some sort of um, approach that you take, or is it just kind of, you see something and then you say, hey, I'm going to see if he's available? Kind of a mix there too. I'm not be giving you any straight answers, but sometimes it's that's the best kind of answer. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes it's uh, okay. So I had a theme for Thanksgiving, right? Next week, Wednesday before Thanksgiving, you're going to hear an episode from Bill Keenest, who was the um, he he worked with the Detroit Lions organization since 1985. He was their vice president of communications, PR director. I don't know what all the titles would have been. Now he's their team historian. Mm. The whole purpose was as a Lions fan my whole life, and he. Started there the same year I was born. So he's seen every Thanksgiving Day game that I've been on this planet. He's been on the sidelines. He's been part of it. And my whole goal was I wanted to bring forth something that was like, this is what football Thanksgiving means to me and that kind of thing. And that's what he did. He he brought on He told stories that as a Lions fan and then other people can relate to that are non-Lions fans. So that one was specific dedicated for a reason so many of the other ones have been okay i'm perused and i'm looking for authors and i just happen to see and then i just oh this is interesting let's bring this on the show sometimes there are that dedicated the dan carlin that was the 100th episode a special one where it's i have a specific that was a shot in the dark i mean i can't imagine how elated i was to actually bring dan carlin on my show to talk to him about football even though his primary is about military it was just super cool that was for me that wasn't for the listener <laughs> yeah absolutely well I, I think you know the listener can kind of get a feel for both worlds you know because i mean wh- who you just uh named i can't remember what his name was but the historian for the lions i mean it's those kind of people that i think have such a unique perspective on the game and the history of the game that you'll never really hear about unless it's through a podcast you know so i, I think it, for me personally i love those kind the people who kind of fall through the cracks of NFL history, but have such a unique perspective on it. Yeah. And not to be one of those less teaser bombs for you, but there's a couple of Barry Sanders stories that he tells in there that has nothing to do with him on the field. And it tells you why he was the individual that he was. And at the very end of the episode, he tells a Thanksgiving story that really makes us all sit back and realize, holy crap, it's really not that bad. I I have everything to be thankful for. So that's a teaser for your listeners. What about uh, Barry Sanders? Is that your kind of goal to get him on the show eventually? Yeah, so I have a few of those. Like, I don't know what you call them, golden horses or what is whatever that is, your unicorns. Barry mm-hmm. Sanders would be definitely one of them. Uh, I'd love to get John Madden, but this this stage in his life, it's that's gonna, that would be challenging. He doesn't really do any interviews anymore, I don't think. Now, if you could interview anyone who was deceased in NFL history, who would it be? super challenging. It's almost like I have to go to George Hallis because then I could cheat and I could get an, I could at least talk to someone who was with 
football or around football for geez, 80 some odd years almost. So I, I, I guess maybe Hellas would have to be my answer off the bat. Even as a Lions fan, you would. Yeah, because he's he'll tell me the truth about what was going on in the Lions organizations, maybe, but probably not. <laughs> he'll he'll give me that snarl, Papa Bear snarl, and yeah. it's just mostly because he was there at the creation, right? And he was one of the founding members of the NFL, so he could tell me what it was like inside Ralph Hayes Automobile Showroom. He could tell me what it was like when the Bears were founded. He could tell me what it was like during World War II, even though he was overseas for some of it. He could tell me a lot of things from a firsthand account that most other individuals could only tell me a snapshot versus he could tell me a very lengthy time from 1915 or whatever it was when he started playing professional football for Hammond all the way until I think it was in the, it was right, right before they won the Super Bowl, maybe 83, 84 is when he passed away. And now what about anyone besides Barry Sanders from the Lions history? Um, Man, just to pick one, I mean, of course, Megatron's an easy one to go to because that's 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 the easy second player in Stafford. I mean, nowadays would be my my guy always. I, I'm a big Stafford supporter regardless of what sometimes he does or does not do. I think Luther Ellis. And reason okay. why, so he was a defensive end for the Lions back in the late 90s. I think mm-hmm. one reason why for him would just be because that's another one of those guys that stood around practice. Like he wasn't as big of a name as some of the other guys on our defense, but it's just such a kind individual that saw Barry Sanders from the other side of the line a little bit. And maybe Robert Porsche would be even better for that just because he saw him from the other line. He was a pro bowl defensive player and everything. He could tell me what it was like in that defensive huddle in the practice Oh man, we got to go out to Barry Sanders again. Like, like, just imagine that every day chasing Barry. How does that? How can that not make you better? Yeah, absolutely. I think another guy that would be interesting too would be uh, Bobby Lane. That'd be a good one. Yeah. If I went way, so if you're talking way back, yeah, sure. I'm gonna talk to like Dutch Earl Dutch Clark and uh, go from there. And I, I got to talk to Gene Cronin, who was on the '57 championship. Um, you know, it was only a few twenty minutes or whatever, but. I mean, there's there's just so many. If, I, I thought you were talking about like players I watched. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, we can get anybody. I think because I think especially from players from that era too, it's you really saw that it was just for purely for passion. I mean, obviously you know, people play today for passion, but there was nothing involved in it for them. You know, there wasn't enough money. There wasn't really enough fame. I mean, like we touched on earlier, you know, if you chose to play professional football, it was like, what the hell is wrong with you? Get your life together. Right. And it's, and it's funny when you hear stories about Bobby, I remember who the defender was, but someone had tackled him and he got a whiff of his breath as he got up and he was saying, Jesus, Bobby, did you go out last night? He's like, what do you mean last night? That was halftime. Right. It's just amazing. Like I love hearing like those kind of stories, especially on the field. It's kind of like seeing that um that photo of Len Dawson at halftime of Super Bowl one smoking a cigarette. It's just like <laughs> there's a certain charm to the old school football that I don't think you're ever really gonna find anymore, but that's kind of what makes it unique in its own right. Yeah, it's kind of one of those things where because of it's turned into such a business, it's awesome. Make it better, more technology, more money putting into it. But because it's turned into such a business and there's all these other things that you have to deal with, there has been a little bit of that that's been lost on us. And, you know, going back to the 60s or 70s football was a different era than it is nowadays. Now, speaking of eras, uh, what is your favorite era of football, either one that you've lived through or from uh, your research since doing the podcast? Uh, I don't, I mean, 
I have I have that lore for going back to like around the 20s and 30s just because of I spent so much time at the beginning. I, I would love to be there when Red Grange went on his barnstorming tour in 25 where coming out of college, he was what they call the first big NFL superstar. He put the NFL on the map and that kind of thing. And just to be there, it would have been near the end of Jim Thorpe's career, but to see what people really thought about him and to listen to... I'm losing the guy's name in my mind. The one that called him the Galloping Ghost. Oh, the radio broadcaster. I cannot. The he was a sports writer. I can't think of his name right now. It'll come to me. Red, but oh, um, not Red Smith. No, it's uh, Grant, Grantland Rice. Thank you, Grantland Rice. I just would love to be during an era because that was the you know the Roaring Twenties, the Golden Age of Sports. They call it to be during that era, and read something that you could not see or being at the game and then reading about it. And then as radio came on a little bit later there, just the, everything was different as far as a hundred years ago, you know, just the way that people looked at sports and the way they looked at that football. And because they had just gotten out of world war one for not too long before then they thought that was the war to end all wars. They didn't think, you know, America we're, we're great. Now we, we went over there, we took over Europe and now we are, coming into a superpower granted we still had a long ways to go and just a just a different feel in the country at that time i think yeah and it, and it's funny when you talk about the feel of sports back then because you know with grantland rice and red smith i mean the way they used to write their columns it's almost like fiction it's, right it, it's incredible you know because it, it's easy to take for granted you know now it's like our journalism is kind of more based on just recapping the game Whereas back then, you know, there wasn't television and there was only limited seats. So you really had to describe it as as if someone wasn't there. And so the way that they were able to just put so much colorful language, it's it's incredible. I mean, you almost feel like you're kind of reading something by F. Scott Fitzgerald almost. Yeah, I mean, like you said it, it's almost like it was fiction and they were telling the story versus recapping the box score. And it was just totally different. Now, which era of football could you do without? Uh, mm. I almost want to say the forties. Yeah, why? Because I think that they put they probably put on a not as quality of a product because all the soldiers were over in World War Two for the most, or all the players were over out in in the war. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of the great things that came out of that too. So that's what. Hey, can I can I just uh, say no? I don't I don't accept this as a question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a half answer, so we got that far. Right, yeah. I mean, the 80s, I I don't think I would have wanted to have gone through all the strikes and things like that. I mean, I know that there was some great stuff that went on as far as the 49ers and such, but just going through the strikes and the strife and the players, I mean, there was a lot of great that came out of it, so that's really not a fair answer either. Man, I don't want to get rid of any of the errors. Yeah, same. Yeah, that was just kind of a test you out question, you know? It's a good one. (laughs) Now, what about in terms of, what era did you like? Have you grown to appreciate the most? I know you talked about how you would like to see, or what it was like in the twenties. Um, what's an era that you feel that through the podcast you've been able to have like a really in depth knowledge of? Um, I really, I mean, I, that's kind of cheating because the twenties would have been the one that I would have, I would have answered because I did so much tr- um, research at the beginning when I was doing solo episodes. But then transforming into maybe the, we'll call it some of the guests that I had on and, and then other shows on the network. The 60s, 70s, like that era I had more appreciation for of 
what it meant to be a player, the AFL, NFL, you know, the whole, the merger and everything. I didn't really understand. Like I knew it happened, right? The AFL was out here. They took over, they, they took some of the fans away from the NFL and then the NFL was over here and they, they merged together, but I didn't understand really what that meant and what that did for football in so many other ways. So that, that's probably one of the errors that I, I, I learned more about than I previously had. Now, do you also have, I mean, obviously, you know, you're a Lions fan, but do you, are you also someone that has like favorite teams from different eras? Um, as far as eras go. So, I mean, even from my era that I grew up in, I was, a so I'm a Baltimore Ravens fan as far as the AFC team. That's because of going back to initially. So Ray Lewis. And then when I was in high school, the, the player or the team that I, they were the, the, the what do they call them? The organized chaos defense. And I was as a linebacker, I liked that concept and I kind of grew on it. They were newer. They were only four or five years old in the league. And, I just kind of kept going with them as one of my favorite side teams. Uh, I latch on to the, the Bears, or like the the 40s and the Masters of the Midway. I've always liked the Bronco Nagurskis, and now I'm saying that I – now I'm like kind of backtracking on when I told you I get rid of an era. That's why I didn't really want to get rid of it because there were some players and some things that happened in the 40s that, that were still great, even though they, they fought through it because even though the country was in such turmoil and there's so many things. But I like that – team for some reason I latch on to a lot when I think of old school football the Bronco Nagurskis and that kind of thing and what do you think it is about NFL history that makes it so prolific and so rich that when people invest themselves in the topic they really get addicted to it um I I can only speak again for this sport compared to just some of the things I've learned it, it is such a it's a story that these people had to just struggles and fights and things going back to the very beginning. Like we talked about football was not, it was like a, a fifth sport. Maybe it was such an afterthought compared to baseball, boxing. I mean, all these other sports, even horse racing, and they had to put everything multiple times. I mean, you're talking just to start the, the league, these owners, they, they, figured more there's a chance there's more of a chance that we lose money and we lose everything we have by starting this league than a successful outcome they could i can't there's i I would call you know shenanigans if anybody tried to back then say that they knew this was going to happen what we have today and then again the 40s they could have shut down because they knew they were going to potentially lose money same thing and then in the 60s 70s for the the afl to have the wherewithal to really or not really worth all some of it was out of spite to start a new league, but to, to have that, I'm going to take on the big guy. And that's, a, I think that's a sport because there's, you, you hear Burt Bell coined it any given Sunday. And we've, we, we've seen movies, we've seen shows about that where any given Sunday, any team has a chance to beat the other team. And that's where the league has always thought they're like, you know what? We're always the underdog going through history up until when they weren't, but they would come together as a team again, that 11, everybody working together and then they would have this dream or they'd have this mission, this plan, and everybody would fight until the end to be able to start this league and create this league and make sure that it turned into what it is now. Again, the best league, most popular league in America. So now that we've talked about the history, let's talk a little bit about the future of football. If you could, um, if you could take any old school rule, and this isn't really about the future, it's just a hypothetical, but if you could take like an old school rule and adapt it to today's game, what would you want to see? Uh, I mean, I, I, 
initially everybody thinks about the whole pass interference thing, how that's too, too crazy. I don't want to say that though, because I mean, passing, I would like it, the pass interference to be maybe not so nitpicky because mm-hmm. you've kind of gotten away from that. But at the same time, the league wouldn't probably be as popular as it is now because everybody likes the points. They love, especially with fantasy football. They like seeing that they don't want to see a, uh, they wouldn't want to see it where their receivers weren't getting, I don't know, man, a rule itself. Yeah. Well, a big, something that I really like enjoying about the history of the game is seeing how it progressed from like the 1800s up until it is now. And it's crazy to think like how at one point, and I, I can't remember what the author's name was that you had on your show. He had the blog, uh, the friends of friendly strife, I think. Oh, okay. Yep. And I love that specific topic about how the game evolved where, you know, originally you only needed one man on the line of scrimmage and how you could have multiple people in motion at a time. It it just seems like a much more crazier game, you know? So that's rules like that. I've always kind of wonder, you know, with minds that advanced as they are like Bill Belichick, like an Andy Reid, like a John Harbaugh, you know, what could you really develop with some of the old school rules that we had back in the early 1900s before the forward pass? I think that kind of gives me in the answer then it was, I wouldn't necessarily want to change the rules, but I want, I would want us to be able to relive the constant changing that they've experienced. Like say if someone was a 75 year old person was able mm-hmm. to see so much change in the NFL and how it evolved. Now it just, there is, there's these little changes that we don't necessarily recognize, but I don't feel like there's as much change nowadays drastically that there was back then. It seems like the game that I watched when I was young was almost the same game I'm watching now, even though there's more passing and less rushing and things like that. But there hasn't been a ton of drastic changes as there has been throughout the early years. Yeah. And one, when we're talking about pass interference, there was a, a book by Jack Tatum, uh, his autobiography called They Call Me Assassin. And he has an interesting take on the whole player safety issue, saying that if you really want to help player safety, just get rid of zone coverage and just have man coverage across the board. And that's yeah. kind of that to me is kind of interesting. You know, if you were really to implement that, I mean, you would have to kind of loosen the the rules on pass interference first and foremost. Um, but that's always been something I kind of thought about. You know, if you had to, if that really was instituted, you know, next season, let's say. You know, how would that draft that would be something that would really drastically change because you really are drafting for athletes then at that point. Yeah, it'd be less schemes, it'd be more athletic prowess. Absolutely. And so you're uh, um you start off by talking about the DeLorean from uh Back to the Future, or that's how usually you end your uh questions if they could go back in time for one <laughs> moment. So right. what would so what would be your moment? Uh you know, that's something that when I ask everybody, I think about what my moment would be. And unfortunately, every time when I think about it, it would be different because there's all, there's just so many different moments in history. And often I do go back to, I'd like to be in the room, Ralph Hayes, Hupmobile Automa Showroom. It's like a, it's almost like an easy answer that everybody would give. But think about it again, all those individuals that had these separate teams, they had all these different kind of but they all had different motives, even though they had the same agenda, or maybe that's not the right way to put it, but they all had their own teams. They're from different kind of companies, different kind of cities, but they all thought, okay, if we don't form together, we're never going to survive as a group. So I'd like to go back there and just 
ask questions, be a fly on the wall, listen, just see what they actually were saying. Because we have the outcome, right? We have the NFL. But to really hear what kind of rebuttals were there to starting this league, what kind of questions of how are we going to do this? Can this really survive? And who stood up? Maybe somebody not just named George Hallis, somebody that stood up in that room that now their team is long gone. And most people don't even know about it. The Buffalo All-Americans is an example. And Leo Lyons. Or was he Rochester Jefferson's? I could have said that wrong. Just somebody that came in there that was a true unsung hero. And they were really the ones that pushed the NFL to be what it is today. Versus we all know about George Hallis. Everybody heard of Jim Thorpe. But what about these other guys? I'd like to see what really happened and what that conversation was back then. Yeah, and it goes back to what we were kind of discussing earlier, you know, the unheralded people who were inside the NFL, but you'll never really hear about. And I think that's something kind of refreshing to really kind of hear their perspective and when you can read and learn about what they had to offer to the game that, you know, many people maybe will never get to, you know, fully understand. Right, I agree. I mean, there's all we all know about the Hall of Fame, right? The gold jackets and and the bronze bust and all these kinds of things. But what about all the people that were involved? to get them into that gold jacket. Cause it wasn't just athleticism. It was all these other things on top of their athleticism. Did you ever read a book called Iron Men by um, uh, Luther's author's name? I don't think so. It doesn't sound familiar. Yeah. If you ever get a, a chance to read that book, that's one where each chapter is kind of designated towards a player telling their story. And it, it, you have people like Johnny Unitas and Elroy Hirsch in there, but it also gives um, you know, profiles about people who was like a, there was one person who was a ticket manager for the Philadelphia Eagles and another person who was um, the marching band coordinator for the um, Washington Redskins. And you just really get to see kind of how, even though they weren't playing on the field and they weren't really involved in the actual game itself, they were involved with the organization and got to see a lot from the ground up. So a book like that was definitely fulfills that sort of urge to hear the, you know, underserved stories and you said that was iron man by who i think Stuart luther is his name is this a book more recent or is this from a while ago no i believe this was published in 86 or 87 okay but i, w- I would definitely recommend it and uh one last question is your um the delorean is a reference to back to the future <laughs> right yeah what are some of your other favorite movies and if there are any in this topic what are some of your favorite football movies uh i mean as far as i'll I'll stick to football movies considering that's what we're talking about i i like a lot of the movies that have the ones that people don't think oh those aren't real true football movies but the denzel washington one um remember the titans Mm -hmm. i think part of that was also because it was coming out around the time and it just just the way that the it, it was more about it was about football but it was about what happened is what football can bring to a team, what it can bring to a group of people, bring them together. They're totally different walks of life and, and the outcome. And we had the whole, you know, left side, right stride, strong side, all that kind of thing. And they came together for a common cause. And I think that's one thing that football can do. I mean, everyone that's played it has at least at some point in time, they've gone through something that maybe the offensive lineman doesn't agree with the defensive lineman, whatever it is. But as a group, you have this common goal and, Short of the military, there's not too many other things out there that I believe that create that camaraderie, like battling each other on the football gridiron in practice as a team. And then 
having that same common goal on that Friday night if you're in high school football. So I think that's one that I, I I've always grasped on to. And wasn't that also a uh, actually no? I'm thinking of Gridiron Gang. I think Gridiron Gang was actually a documentary first that was you know based on the true story, and then uh, they adapted a film for that too. And I've been trying to find the documentary, but I haven't been able to find it anywhere. I wasn't that. That's the one with the Rock, was it? The Gridiron yeah. Gang. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's been a while since I've seen that one. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm someone whose movie list is always growing longer and longer. So that's something <laughs> to be. That's definitely one. But Arnie, it was great to have you on the show. I'm a big fan of the podcast, and I would encourage everybody to check it out if you haven't already. Um, I really would hope we could do this again sometime, man. This was a lot of fun to talk to you. <laughs> sure, yep. I appreciate it, too.